Man, not gonna lie, that one hurt. Adolis Garcia and the Texas Rangers walk off game one of the World Series. You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Diamondbacks Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to who? Always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas, multimedia journalist, anamographic designer. Please check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com to see all of my latest work. I've been hosting this podcast since 2020, and now I get to see and cover the D-backs in the World Series. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. And on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about that Jordan Montgomery versus Merrill Kelly Game 3 matchups, uh, adjustments for Game 2 that the D-backs need to make after Game 1. But let's first start by talking about Game 1 and the D-backs getting walked off by the Texas Rangers. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm feeling pretty somber right now. A little sad. I'm supposed to be getting ready for a Halloween party, right? It's Halloween weekend. I want to be feeling good before I go out. Trust me, I probably will be feeling good before we go out. But I'm not feeling good after that D-backs game because about the first three hours of the D-backs versus Rangers World Series Game 1, I was feeling really good, right? We saw Corbin Carroll do some things. We saw Ketel Marte do some things. We saw the answer backs come alive once again. The bullpen looked shut down until there was about two outs left in the ninth inning because Paul Seawald, who has been nails this entire postseason, uh, he had, entering tonight, he had, why can't I speak right now? Entering tonight, he had yet allowed an earned run. Is that the right way to say that? He has not allowed an earned run before World Series Game 1 against the Texas Rangers. That's probably the best way to say it. And Seawald finally got got against the Rangers. Credit to the Texas Rangers. Seawald has been phenomenal electric. He's been able to strike out seemingly almost every batter he's faced this postseason. And for once, Seawald went with that high heat. And credit to Corey Seager of the Texas Rangers, who is a Bad, bad man because he crushed a fastball that probably wasn't even going to be in the zone way out to right field for a two-run shot to tie up the game. And maybe it's not entirely surprising considering the whole run through the playoffs. One of the reasons you could say, one of the variables you could point to as to why Seawald was maybe dominating the competition is because he was a dude that was traded from the American League to the NL. The NL opponents didn't have a ton of actual game footage of them facing Seawald throughout the season. Maybe they did, but it wasn't a large sample size. Seawald is coming from the AL West division. The Texas Rangers are a team that saw Seawald multiple times throughout the last few years, and so it's not entirely surprising to see the Rangers are the offense that is able to get to Paul Seawald. And also, I mean, we got to just respect the Rangers offense. They have a lot of dudes in that lineup that can scare you. And Corey Seager is, of course, 
one of them, as we saw in that ninth inning, two outs, excuse me, I think it was just one out, right? He comes up huge with one out in the ninth inning, two-run shot. And in that moment, what was really frustrating when you go back and look at that ninth inning, all Paul Sewald had to do was attack that number nine hitter. That's where the mistake was really made. You let Tavares get on base. Knowing you got Simeon and Seager in the top of the lineup coming up, you have to get Tavares out in that moment. You have to attack him with strikes. This Rangers lineup is deep, but they do have a couple holes in their lineup. One of them was Tavares, and seeing him get put on base the tying run, you just knew bad things had the potential to happen with the top of the lineup coming up. We know about the Rangers' magic you know, in the last couple weeks in the postseason, and one of those guys that have been magical for the Rangers has been Adolis Garcia, who is once again showed the magic in this game because he came up, of course, in the 11th inning. Miguel Castro on the mound, and he gives up a home run to Garcia. Like, that was my that was my concern when I saw Castro out the pen. Like, Castro can pitch really good, but he can also give up the long ball. When Castro isn't right, he gives up some hard contact, and some of those pitches like to leave the yard. And it felt like there was a few pitches for the Rangers team that could have left the yard. There was like a Nathan Lowe fly ball with a cameraman panned out like it was going to leave. I think Marcus Simeon had the same thing. But this Ardalis Garcia one, Corbin Carroll backed up to right field. He had his hand against the wall. I thought maybe he could make a play on the ball. That didn't happen. Ardalis Garcia once again comes through for the Texas Rangers in a big way. But for the D-backs, I don't think they should be too discouraged. Yes, I'm feeling down after game one just because of the way that the D-backs lost. They kind of had a gut punch, you know, in this game because this is a team where their bullpen has been nails their entire postseason. This is a team that really hasn't lost this postseason when they've gotten a lead. This is kind of the first time they've had that shock to their system where it's like, whoa, the game just flipped on us. What just happened? Because the D-backs have been doing that to teams all postseason. And they even did to the Rangers in this game where the Rangers scored two runs in the first inning. Then the D-backs score runs in the third, fourth, and fifth to retake the lead. I, I honestly thought the D-backs were going to cruise with that lead all the way to the end of this ball game. They were almost able to do that until Paul Sewald unfortunately blew this save for the D-backs. And now I think the I don't think any D-backs closer has yet recorded a save for this franchise. Like I think the D-backs have three blown saves in the World Series, which is kind of crazy, but everyone has been talking about there's been there's been this tweet going around about how things that happened 2001 has also happened 2023. So, in 2001, Randy Johnson of course hit a bird. Zach Gallen did that in 2023. In 2001, all the dates of the World Series game were all the same dates as the World Series games in 2023. The All-Star game was in Seattle in 2001. The All-Star game was in Seattle in 2023. George Bush threw out the first pitch in 2001. George Bush threw out the first pitch in 2023. Now, we knew, well, now with hindsight, after the game, the D-backs closers were blowing saves in 2001. D-backs closers are once again blowing saves in 2023. So, honestly... Maybe we should feel a little encouraged after this game that the D-backs did blow the save because it's just lining up like how it was back in 2001 for the D-backs. I don't think this team should be discouraged. I want to see how they respond in game two. I still think the D-backs had a lot of positives to take away from. Like literally the first 
eight innings and the first eight and one third innings pitch, I had to figure out what nine innings and one out would be. The first eight and one third innings pitch, I thought the D-backs played really good baseball. It's not like they even played bad baseball in the extra innings. It was literally just those two outs in the ninth inning screwed them. And of course, they lost this game. But I thought for the most part, the D-backs played really good baseball. And after game one, I think the D-backs should be feeling confident heading into game two. I thought you battled in a great way. And this kind of starts off like the NLCS against the Philadelphia Phillies. Of course, they were a little bit more convincing the Phillies in their game one. But both games, you lose game one. We've seen the D-backs even go down two games to nothing right back what we just saw in the NLCS. Maybe they lose game two to the Texas Rangers, but with what I saw in game one, I think this is going to be a close series. I think this is going to be a back and forth series. I'm feeling good about the D-backs heading to game two because I thought they really showed a lot in game one and it wasn't a game where it was like game one against Phillies or game two against the Phillies where that offense just came out that offense for the Phillies just came out and dominated the D-backs opposing starters or bullpen or whatever it was. That wasn't the case in this one. Rangers offense just came up clutch in the ninth inning, in extra innings, and that was enough to put them over the edge in this one. So I'm not going to feel too bad after game one. Yes, I'm feeling sad right now, a little somber. Let me go get a little drink in my system. Let me go party a little bit for Halloween weekend. But I think heading into game two, we should at least be feeling confident that this D-backs team, the answer backs, have a real chance of biting back in game two. And we'll be talking about adjustments that the D-backs need to make in game two. But if you need some antibiotics for emergency use, the best place to go is Jace Medical because the Jace case is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. You can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your unique needs. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use, all it takes to get Jay's case is fill out a simple online form and in some cases jump on a quick call with one of our board certified physicians, get ongoing care from our physicians on any treatment related questions, doctor created, doctor recommended. So go to jacemedical.com and enter code LOCKEDON at checkout for a $20 discount on your order. That's promo code LOCKEDON at jasemedical.com. Let's get back into the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. Let's talk about some adjustments that the D-backs need to make for Game 2. But I also want to talk about some things that I really like from Game 2 that they need to continue doing in Game 2. So let's just talk about the good and the bad from Game 1 and how it can be applied to Game 2. Well, first thing is the answer backs are alive and well. And we're going to need to see the answer backs in Game 2. The Texas Rangers got off early against Zach Gallen. I don't like to see that Zach Gallen. I don't like this version of Zach Gallen that I've seen uh, in the last three starts in the postseason. I don't like what he did against Philadelphia. He was fine this start against the Rangers. He was not good, but I wouldn't say he was bad either. He did just enough to put the D-backs in position to have an opportunity to win the game, but I just want a classic Zach Gallen start. 
and I get a start where it's like six innings, four hits, no earned runs, and like seven strikeouts. Like it's been so long since I felt good about Zach Gallon on the mound. I want to see the elite Zach Gallon again, but at least. Game one showed the answer backs are alive and well, and I'm confident in the answer backs showing up the whole series, especially with the shaky bullpen that the Texas Rangers have. Corbin Carroll kept the game seven vibes going in game one, and I want to see him com- continue to do that. Carroll was only one for five, but he felt like he had a way bigger presence because of how he started this game, specifically in the third inning, had that huge triple, which scored two. And then Corbin Carroll did something insane with Ketel Marte with a hard grounder to first. Corbin Carroll was still able to get home and slide under the tag. I don't know how he was able to beat that, but Corbin Carroll, I thought, looked really good despite only having one hit. I liked the way he looked out there. Thought he was swinging the bat with a lot of confidence. I thought he got some great contact as well. Maybe some of the pitches just ended up in the outfielder's hands or whatever, but I thought he at least got a lot of good contact on some of the pitches he saw. I thought he was swinging a really good bat and was just pretty locked in at the plate. So Corbin Carroll, it seemed like he kept the game seven vibes going, and that's really good for this D-backs team because he struggled so much those first six games of the NLCS. If you have good Corbin Carroll at the top of your lineup, you're going to have a chance to win this series because the man behind Corbin Carroll, Ketel Marte, just continues to dominate the postseason. After his RBI double tonight, Ketel Marte has now tied the longest hitting streak in postseason history. If Ketel Marte gets hit in game two, he will have the longest hitting streak in playoff history. And again, I still say we don't talk enough about Ketel Marte as an elite, <clears throat> as an elite playoff performer. You look at the slash line. You look at the numbers for this guy. He's been electric in the postseason. And with him and Corbin Carroll, if they can continue to do that at the top of the lineup, I love the chance for this offense to really be humming in this series. Um, The next one. Team speed looks like it's back. I have to check my notes real quick because I didn't know where I wanted to go next. It looks like team speed is back. This D-backs team is now the first team in postseason history with at least four games with four plus stolen bases. They're the first team ever to do it in three consecutive games. We know speed was the calling card for this D-backs team this, the whole season, right? And against the Phillies, They weren't really doing it until the last two games of that series, game six and game seven. The D-backs played their brand of baseball, and they were able to come back in that raucous Philadelphia environment. I thought game one of the World Series, the D-backs were playing their brand of baseball. That's why I don't feel too discouraged after game one, because I thought the D-backs looked like the D-backs, like how they've looked. Every round of the postseason, I just think the Rangers just came up clutch in the end and credit to them because they've done that a lot this postseason as well. So I think the D-backs just got screwed at the end there. But for the most part, I thought the D-backs played D-backs baseball. And that's using your speed to create havoc. You didn't even need a Corbin Carroll stolen base. Marte, Walker, Thomas, and Perdomo each stole a base in this one. Christian Walker quietly has five stolen bases this postseason, which is even crazier when you think that it feels like he's never on base. Like, Christian Walker had three strikeouts tonight, so the fact that it feels like he strikes out every plate appearance, but yet he still has five stolen bases this year, this postseason. 
really crazy. D-backs need to continue to utilize their team speed. It was great to see Corbin Carroll get to third on triple. It's great to see him get to home on that on that little uh, f- what was it? Just grounded to first by Ketel Marte. Had a sacrifice by Geraldo Perdomo in this. I like the D-backs when they use their team speed to create havoc. I said havoc, chaos and havoc. And the D-backs need to continue to utilize that speed to hopefully win this series. And then the last thing that I want to talk about that I really like from game number one is Geraldo Perdomo just continues to make plays. He got a hit, a stolen base, and then a run scored, I think, all in one inning. Geraldo Perdomo had three multi-hit games the last three games of the NLCS and had a hit in the last four games of the NLCS. Geraldo Perdomo has quietly been a really good playoff performer for the D-backs and along the same lines, Alec Thomas as well. Another two-hit day for him. His slash line is really strong as well. Maybe not the average, but his slugging has been insane. And those two youngsters stepping up at the bottom of, at the bottom of the lineup has really helped this D-backs offense because Thomas's speed and Perdomo's you know, just ability to see pitches his batter's eye has really helped out this offense a lot with those middle guys sometimes struggling with the Christian Walkers of the world. Like Moreno and Christian Walker went 0 for 9 with six strikeouts. That is just not good enough. So it helps when you have Alec Thomas, Geraldo Perdomo at the bottom of your lineup really doing work. So for the most part, I thought the D-backs did a lot of good things. I actually had more good things to talk about from the D-backs than anything. I mean, I actually don't have a ton of adjustments for them heading into game number two. Um, maybe don't leave pitches up in the zone for Corey Seager. Maybe just straight up walk walk a dollars Garcia. I don't know why I couldn't say that name. Walk a dollars a dollars a dollars a dollars walk a dollars Garcia. There we go. He had three hits in this game. But we saw Bryce Harper get off to a hot start in the NLCS and then cool off by the end of the series. So D-backs are not going to concede pitches to these really good batters of the Texas Rangers. They're going to continue to pitch to them, which I totally respect. Yeah, maybe get crushed in game one, but like we just saw in the NLCS, sometimes those players can start to fade and fatigue as the series goes on. So the D-backs are going to put confidence in their pitchers to go out there and throw strikes, create outs, and I love that game plan for the D-backs. So hopefully they can get it going in game two and get back on the board and tie this World Series up. Now we'll talk about the Merrill Kelly versus Jordan Montgomery matchup in game number two. But how does free Thanksgiving sound? This year, Abada is here to give you cash back and help make sure your Thanksgiving table is complete because we want turkeys without the gravy. Starting November 1st, for the fourth year in a row, Abada is giving 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving feast. Just add the offers in the app to redeem from everything you need to make your Thanksgiving feast complete. All you have to do is shop at your favorite retailers and upload your receipt. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Download the Ibotta app now and use code MLB to get 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving dinner starting November 1st. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code MLB. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code MLB.
All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Let's wrap it up by talking and previewing a little bit about game two because we got Merrill Kelly versus Jordan Montgomery. Big matchup. Two really good pitchers. Montgomery has been pretty good this postseason for the Texas Rangers. Really nice pickup for them. And honestly, I would have loved if Mike Hazen could have gotten Jordan Montgomery for this rotation because imagine if you had the options of Gallon, Kelly, Montgomery, and Fott. Like, not to go on too much of a tangent, but that's kind of my dream for this offseason. Get us another legit starting pitcher. I don't think it has to be an ace. I don't think they have to be, you know, prime Clayton Kershaw or Max Scherzer or Verlander, but give me at least a like a Jordan Montgomery or a Nathan Avaldi level pitcher to help round out this rotation, and the D-backs might be back in the same boat next year. But let's first talk about Game 2 and how the D-backs can win that game because we're going to have Merrill Kelly versus Jordan Montgomery. And to be honest, this is a very intriguing matchup, mostly Merrill Kelly versus the Texas Rangers because Kelly only has one start against the Rangers in his whole career that was back in 2020 now did Merrill Kelly look great in that start of course he did he's Merrill Kelly but I don't know if I could go off the stats of one start in your whole career a few years ago pandemic times remember the pandemic guys back in 2020 yeah that's the last time Merrill Kelly pitched to the Texas Rangers of course he looked good but can't really go off anything from that game and you actually look at Merrill Kelly versus the Texas Rangers hitters, none of them really have a big sample size against Merrill Kelly. So this is a matchup where Kelly really hasn't faced the Rangers hitters, and the Rangers hitters really haven't faced Merrill Kelly. And so maybe we'll see some kind of confluence where it's Merrill Kelly dominating them because they don't know Merrill Kelly, or maybe it's the other way around. Kelly might not really know how to pitch to these opposing Texas Rangers batters, which just doesn't feel true. And maybe the Rangers hitters you know, go off against Kelly. But if I had to pick a scenario, I think it's more likely that the pitcher dominates the lineup that hasn't seen him than vice versa. So I'm feeling pretty good about Kelly heading into game two. And he's done really well this postseason. Like, he's had some very tough matchups, of course, because Kelly's coming off the NLCS where I thought he did look good against the Philadelphia Phillies. Of course, that game two start against the Phillies he gave up four runs. I don't really count that fourth one because the bullpen gave it up. But he did give up three home runs, three solos. But I thought he did look solid in that one. His first start against the Dodgers, dominant, 6.1 innings pitch, three hits, and had never won a game in his career against L.A. Did that in his first start. Yes, he gave up three home runs to Philly in his second start. But I thought he still looked fine in that. And then game six against Philadelphia, five innings, one earned run, eight strikeouts. Looked really good in that one. So hopefully we can get somewhere between game one and game six, Merrill Kelly, you know, somewhere between his first and third start of this postseason for game two against the Texas Rangers. Merrill Kelly is going to have to keep the balls down. I think we're going to see the same kind of diet that we saw to these Phillies hitters going to stay away, going to keep the balls down. Maybe a guy like Simeon likes to hit the ball low in the zone, but I think you always feel better throwing ball low in the zone to these opposing power bats and giving them the high heat. So Kelly, I, I'm going to trust the mix that he throws tomorrow. I think he's going to throw hard and not really give these Rangers a ball to crush like he did against the Phillies in game number two of the NLCS. So I'm feeling pretty confident for Merrill Kelly because I definitely think it helps that he's kind of a 
uh, a mystery against the Texas Rangers. He could really be anything. He's a mystery box. What's in there? We don't know. So I like that matchup for Merrill Kelly. And then on the other side, Jordan Montgomery. And also, let me just say, since Merrill Kelly's a righty, um, Texas Rangers lineup, kind of righty heavy, right? Like when you think about their best bats in that lineup, I think of Marcus Simeon. I think of Adolis Garcia. Like a lot of their bats are righty. Maybe a guy like Seager is lefty, but... I think I would rather right now a righty on the mound versus the Texas Rangers as opposed to a lefty. Yes, Zach Gallen wasn't phenomenal, but like I said, he wasn't bad. So I think Merrill Kelly can see what Zach Gallen did and improve on that for game number two. And then Jordan Montgomery going against the D-backs. D-backs have faced Jordan Montgomery twice this season. The first time was in April when Montgomery was pitching for the Cardinals. He gave up like seven earned runs. He was awful. D-backs crushed him. But when he got traded and pitched for the Rangers against the D-backs in August, it was a different story. Jordan Montgomery dominated the D-backs in that matchup. I think he went like eight innings, like no earned runs, like eight strikeouts, something nasty. So which Jordan Montgomery are we going to see in game number two against the D-backs? Is it going to be April Montgomery? Is it going to be August Montgomery? He's a dude that has been a pretty solid postseason performer throughout his career, so he might just be locked in and really give Merrill Kelly a, a good pitcher's duel. I could see game two being a low scoring, maybe need four to three like it was tonight. A big hit late in the game, a big clutch hit might be enough to win it. Get one guy on, get a double, four, three. That might be the, you know, the game winning score in this game tomorrow. Maybe someone comes up big in the seventh or eighth inning for either the D-backs or the Rangers. This might be one where the bullpen is the culprit for the loss in the game because I could see a pretty good start with Merrill Kelly being enigma against the Rangers and Jordan Montgomery having shown really elite success against the D-backs when he was a pitcher on the Rangers already. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if game two is a, a little bit of a pitcher's duel with the way both of those starting pitchers have been pitching recently in the postseason. And then really for game number two, one thing that I don't want to see with a lefty like Jordan Montgomery on the mound is I better not see Alec Thomas on the bench. That's all I know. I'm not going to talk again about how Christian Walker needs to move needs to be moved down the lineup because I've talked about that the last few pods. Doesn't look like Tori Lavello is listening to me. We'll just keep going out there with no hits and three strikeouts a game for Christian Walker. Alec Thomas, I would love to see moved up in the lineup because we got Moreno, Walker, Fam Gurriel. It's righty, 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 righty. And if there's a lefty on the mound, I mean, you could even have Quetzal Marte as a righty as well. So you could go like five straight righties uh, in theory. I don't think, um, and that's what uh, we did tonight, right? I mean, I guess Quetzal Marte batted from the left side, but you had Moreno, Walker, Pham, and Gurriel, four straight righties. Like, why not move Alec Thomas up a little bit in the lineup? With the way he's swinging the bat, I wouldn't be opposed to it. And why not move Walker down in the lineup? But we're not really going to talk about that because we've talked about it enough on this podcast. So all I better see is Alec Thomas in that starting lineup because if he's on the bench with a lefty on the mound with how he's swinging the bat, I'm going to be super mad at Toy Lovello. But I thought he had a pretty good game overall managing this one he went with his best relievers I thought he pick and choose at the right time Seawall just kind of crapped the bed at the end of the game what can you do there so D-backs hopefully they bounce back in game two of the World Series they're going to have a good chance with one of their most trusty arguably their most trusty starting pitcher on the mound and Merrill Kelly 
But the Rangers are going to have Jordan Montgomery on the mound, who's been pretty good with that offense as well. I think this is going to be a pretty good World Series with both teams going back and forth, and I can't wait to see how game number two unfolds. Now that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Want to do a little podcast after the game two D-backs win, so be on the lookout for that. But if the D-backs lose, oh, I don't really like to talk too much after the D-backs lose, especially on a weekend. So be on the lookout for potential post-game pod tomorrow. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Doses.